Good evening. Glad you're here this evening. A special shout out to those out there that actually heard the announcements this morning, saw the PowerPoint that said I was speaking tonight, and still came back to listen this evening for Romans chapter 13. I hope that uh, I can bring something out this evening that will be beneficial to us in our Christian walk. Uh, It's one of those, I was talking to Scott before services, I'm kind of glad I got this end of it. I think the tougher chapters as far as to bring out messages uh, were earlier on in Romans. This one this evening is not very difficult to bring out, hopefully a lot of practical application for us this evening. Uh, Also, I had several comments before I spoke today, and I'm just telling you it was too hot for a patriotic sweater vest. So you'll have to (laughs) have to settle for this this evening, but... um, Independence Day being tomorrow, I decided to kind of tie it all together here. And uh, it's one of those days that I appreciate very much, July 4, 1776, when we announced that we were going to be independent from uh, Great Britain at the time. I wasn't there. You guys weren't there. We hear the stories, we understand history, but without those that made those decisions on our behalf or all the things that transpired during that time frame, we might not be worshiping in freedom like we have this evening. We don't know how history would have been written differently had it not happened the way that we understand it. But I take that stuff for granted so often. And I think about the independence that we have to be able to worship the way we do, the the benefits that I feel like that we have in this United States, Uh, the great nation that we have and the decisions that we can make and the freedom we have to make those decisions and not to take that for granted. And what I really like about Independence Day is it really makes me think and go back to the fact that I wasn't the one responsible for that. But then you go to deeper to the spiritual side of it and understand that back when Christ was walking on this earth and some of the things that we'll read tonight that happened around 58 AD after his death, that we weren't there either, but it was for our benefit. It was for us to understand a little bit more about what God's will is for us, and he gave us our independence from our sins through that grace and mercy and that power through the cross that he died, the hill called Mount Calvary, as we just sang, that hill called Mount Calvary, that he gave us that peace that Mark did a great job talking about. Blessed are the peacemakers, and we'll be touching on that a lot. But if you leave here today and don't feel a little bit better about how to get along with your fellow man, hopefully between Mark and I, then you haven't listened very well probably, or you're not applying it properly. So that's a challenge to the audience out there today. So when we think about that independence, and we think about, as I feel like all of the speakers have done a very good job on talking about context of the book of Romans, the letter that was written, written to Rome by the Apostle Paul, Understanding that it wasn't just very many years, and if you talk about generations in about 20-year spans, that we had Saul that, his, that had the uh, clothes of Stephen as he was being stoned laid at his feet. And you think about all the things that Saul did in his life persecuting Christians in this very town that the Apostle Paul is now writing a letter as a Christian in the conversion of Paul that we're not going to go into tonight. And we think about some of those generational things that happened very short time past in their history 
that I promise you there were probably still people alive that were hearing stories about this Apostle Paul who was writing this letter to the church that they were attending and saying, he was that guy that was putting Christians to death. He was the guy that was leading people possibly to the Colosseum to meet their death that was taking them in chains as we have record of. He was that guy. And we think about that and we think about the instruments that have been given to us and it also makes me think a little bit more deeper about this isn't just a good book that we have, the Bible. It's not just a good bunch of good stories and a bunch of things that can help us with our values. It's the inspired Word of God. This evening, I hope I can answer a couple of things for us in Romans chapter 13. How did this apply to the people at the time? So taking that context and saying, okay, the group that they were talking to right there, and then, of course, how can this apply to us today? And as always with everything, understanding that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Understanding this isn't just a great piece of literature. Jesus wasn't just a great man. He was a great man, but he wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh, as we talked about a little bit, and Dee talked about that at the Lord's Supper this morning. There is a lot of meaning to that, and if, if the Independence Day for the United States is the day I think about that a little bit deeper, I, I hope we all can maybe take that and say, how do I not take these things for granted? And the freedom that we have to come back on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday evening and to be able to worship and hear a little bit more about maybe what we need to be doing in our lives uh, to better serve God. You know, we think about the Apostle Paul and Understanding that every word that has been given to us is there's a reason for it and understanding the context behind what was written. Again, uh, writing to the letter of Rome and who exactly is he writing to? In Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, and uh, we can, a lot of things that can, we could talk about as far as going back and, and, and recapping a few things. I feel like Jacob did a good job with that last week. Uh, for Romans chapter 1 and verse 7 Paul is writing this letter to all who are in Rome, the beloved of God, called to be saints. He says, grace to you and peace from, our, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So understanding the letter was written by the Apostle Paul, written to the church at Rome, to the saints, to those who are beloved. And it's kind of interesting to me that the names that are used there, the beloved of God, called to be saints, that that's put in there for our reason too because a lot of people are uncomfortable with using the word saints and uh, probably most of us uh, that are older understand when the saints go marching in understand what that song means and a lot of people say well you know I'm not a saint until I pass away and I, I get to the pearly gates and get my well done thou good and faithful servant we are saints now we make up the kingdom the body of Christ, the body that Christ died for his bride is made up of all of us here this evening and if you're here this evening and don't understand the independence that we get from Christ's death on that cross by becoming a, a saint, by becoming a member of that body of Christ, then we need to do some more studying. You need to do some more studying, and we're here to help you, and a lot of individuals here that will help you with that. We obviously don't know the minds of those that are here and, 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 and the backgrounds. But similar to that, as Paul writes this letter to the individuals at the time, you've got to understand the audience that he was kind of writing to. So uh, a lot of times we call them Jewish Christians, 
Um, basically, they were Jews that were converted to Christianity. Remembering, remembering now that this is around 57 or 58 AD as best we can tell. Uh, so, uh, you know, 50, 50 plus years after the church is established by Christ, after Christ's death. So a couple of generations have gone by, but there's probably still some older people that were there uh, possibly when Christ was crucified and understand as far as from a Jew's point of view what they did before some of the traditions they had before, and now they're converted to Christianity and having to leave some of that stuff behind. And we look at that, and of course the Jews at the time, uh, before Christ, were called the children of Israel, the Hebrew people. They were the chosen of God. They were the children of Israel. They were already in. And we've read several verses or several chapters that talk about this even in Romans about the Gentiles and that they weren't children of God. They weren't the Hebrew people. You can go back to the old law and read many accounts about how uh, the sojourners, uh, so to speak, those that would wander into the children of Israel's area uh, that they were staying, how they were to be treated. And they were treated differently. They were treated as outcasts and outsiders. So you take this letter that's being written to these individuals here, and then also the Gentile converts to Christianity. So those that were not of the Jewish nation prior to or didn't have that heritage and understanding that they, a lot of those of the Roman culture, and you've got to understand that uh, back in Italy during that time in the Mediterranean Sea and the location, if you look at the maps that are in the back of the Bibles, you can kind of see the commerce that happened, Roman, the Roman Empire that I think most of us still read about in our American history from time to time, or our history, world history, um, the Roman culture was huge. And you think about writing to the church at Rome made up of the Jewish converts to Christianity, so Christians there, and then Gentiles, and now they're together, and these were people that were possibly worshiping uh, you know, all the gods that were created by the Roman Empire, uh, the Caesars of the time, and just kind of setting up basically the canvas for, for what Paul was writing to and that audience that he was writing to. Those of the Roman culture, those that were not formally chosen, those that were considered outsiders. And I don't know if you've ever felt like an outsider, but on multiple occasions, I feel like an outsider. We all want to fit in, and Mark touched on that this morning about wanting to get along and have that interaction some of us are very comfortable with it. Some of us maybe are too comfortable with it. And some of us aren't comfortable with the interaction, interaction at all. But none of us really want to be considered an outsider. None of, all of us want to be able to fit in. And sometimes that can get us into trouble sometimes when we conform maybe too much instead of reading for ourselves and studying to show ourselves approved as the scriptures tell us. But these right here, in a nutshell, and I'm sure that, you know, it wasn't all necessarily people from the Roman culture. I mean, I'm sure there were travelers that came in for their commerce. There were happening people that were transplanted, probably from other areas. Uh, but that was the audience that he was writing for. And think about all these people here and their backgrounds and the history in the past 58 years since Jesus' death and trying to wrap that into what are we supposed to do to serve God? What are we supposed to do? Thus, everything that led up to chapter 12 that Jacob covered last week, and then we see the Christian characters that are given to us in chapter 12 as far as how we should conduct ourselves. 
Now you think about as far as the audience, does it mean that in those first 50 years that nobody was doing any of these things? No, but it was a reminder from Paul that this is the things that we need to do. These are the things that we need to be doing. Now you think about all these backgrounds here and even, even the Hebrew people and probably in their heritage understanding that the priests of Levi, it was land that was given to them as the children of Israel and paying their tithes and everything that went along with their heritage. And then you think about the converts in, in the Roman culture who were used to paying taxes and all that. That is basically what leads us into where we're going to begin in uh, Romans chapter 13. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 reminds us of the state that was in at the time that we're talking about and being read. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Talking about the Gentiles, wrapping that in, and then taking all these differences and these backgrounds, and then tying it into one. And then as Jacob read last week, Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, he's telling all of them, he says, be of the same mind toward one another talking about the peace and keeping the peace that Mark did this morning, that is something that is huge for all of us to work on. But the people of the time needed to have the same mind, one toward another. Don't set your mind on, on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If at all possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And we understand that. We've read that before. But now they're at a, at a point where some of them are questioning, okay, I am a Christian. These are the things I need to be doing now. So the governments really don't matter. These authorities, these people are put here don't really matter. And trying to mix in that all together as far as their Christianity and then being a, a people that's set apart, that the Jewish religion, the, the Jewish people were very used to being set apart. Now you have the all of these people come together that have to figure out how to manage this together. And with that, to live peaceably with all men in the sight of all men, I think that peace is important for us to take away in that freedom and independence that they had. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And that's a little bit too small font, so if you don't, uh, it is the New King James Version that's up there. So I'm going to uh, read it out of here. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who will resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and, a, and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of, of wrath, but also for conscience' sake, for because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing." Now we think about those first six verses and we think about the authorities and 
put yourself in, in, in today's economy that's not too great, and, and some of us understand that, some of us don't, that uh, things aren't, aren't real good as far as our economy. We, we are still very blessed as a nation, but they're not going great. So it's real easy for me a lot of times with those that are in authority to say, well, you know, those, those, those Democrats or that, that Biden or, or, or whatever the case may be. But basically, it tells us here that we need to not be that way. And it, we'll talk more about the give honor to who honor is. But let every soul be subject to the governing authorities in all things, including the paying of taxes. So as Paul's telling the people at that time that, they got to understand that they needed to understand that they needed to follow those rules that were there. Now think about the tools and instruments of God's message that he had and that he gave to us in the Old Testament. And you think about all the different pharaohs. Their hearts were hardened. They were instruments that, that were being used by God. We think about Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and, and the bowing down to that. Nebuchadnezzar was, is in several, uh, several th- uh, books of the Bible that talks about the things that he did. Maybe even if you think about Pilate, and you think about Herod, and some of those that were involved in the trial of Jesus, and those instruments, and it would be real easy, maybe as Christians, to look back on them and say, we're supposed to be subject to those authorities that were doing those evil things or doing those bad things. And it's difficult for us sometimes as Christians to say, well, this is, I'm, getting, I'm getting behind this and this is what I'm doing politically. And if you ever get involved into a discussion, usually with, with individuals, if you get, to get on the subject of politics, uh, usually it, it has so many varying opinions. And, and the, the, the recent activity in the Supreme Court has got everybody in an uproar as far as, as, far as the decisions that have been changed in some of the legislation. But... You know, all those things are put there and God set them in motion just like he did the nature and the earth and we need to respect those. And he allows those people to be in those places of authority. And that's what we have to understand. Now, some people go to the extreme and I'm not up here to debate that this evening on, well, I don't even need to vote because God's going to ordain them and going to put them in. That's a personal choice that, again, you don't want to get into somebody's business when you talk about that, but there's varying opinions on that even within the church. But those authorities that are in there that God has placed are in there for a reason. And I believe, my belief is that from time to time, if things aren't necessarily going great, not that it's meant for us as Christians, but I think that sometimes God judges nations through some of those decisions that those leaders make in those, and maybe the times aren't so, so great right now because our nation really isn't behind God. And I know that's my opinion, and I will express that as my opinion, but maybe that's what God puts in there that from time to time we need to be humbled to where we need to be to kind of get ourselves back on track. But it's very important, I think, when he's talking to the Christians at the time, uh, those that are melted, melded together from uh, the, the Jewish converts and uh, the Gentiles that are there, to understand that we still follow what the government has, been, has given us and as far as the laws. And you know, I'd like to throw a caveat in there. I know our elders did a tremendous job, I feel like, through COVID on what do we do as far as, okay, it's, it's against the law for, I think, 10 or more to, to meet together during the COVID rules of 2020? I mean, there was a lot of tough decisions that had to be made, and I know a lot of debate that went, went on and, and a lot of study and prayer that went on from the elders and from everybody here on what's the right thing to do 
to be able to go ahead and serve God during this time of this pandemic. But it's important that we also remember this part of it here, that in, in Mark chapter 12 and verse 13, when even the people at the time were trying to trip, trip Jesus up on what he was saying and what he was doing, that those people are there for our benefit and maybe as it talks about to do evil and to do good and so forth and so on, we are supposed to still do good toward all men. Verse 13 of Mark 12, it says, And they sent, him, sent to him some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch him in his words, talking about Jesus. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, uh, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God and truth. It is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me the denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to him, Whose image and inscription is this? Then they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Again, always being trying to caught and twist Jesus' words, it seemed like, at the, the people at the time. But understanding that some of the words that were written down for us is to understand that we can still pay taxes. We need to pay those taxes. And I feel like if we don't properly take, pay our taxes, then we are sinning in doing that. And I don't think that has to be noted as that's my opinion. I think that is borne out through the scriptures that we need to pay to our government what is due our government. Now, each of us, and you can say, well, Mike, you're getting into meddling now, but each of us have our own, our own businesses from time to time, and I think it's important that we do our taxes as justly as we possibly can. Nobody wants to pay more than they have to, but we don't want to pay more than what, we don't want to pay more, but we don't want to pay less because I believe God expects us to pay our taxes. So let's make sure that we are doing that to the best of our ability. And back in verse 7 of Romans chapter 13, so after he says all that, not that it's necessarily wrapped up with this one sentence here, but it says, render therefore to all their due. So pay, pay the taxes, give them the respect for the authority that they have, that they have earned in that spot. Don't talk bad about them. Uh, don't bash them. Uh, there's a lot of things that it's easy for us to do sometimes when things go wrong. Uh, with, with our politics from time to time, our economy, and saying, pointing the finger, saying, man, if they just weren't there, or if we just had somebody else there, all those things that kind of go through our head. But render to all their due, taxes whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Even if we don't like them, even if maybe they're not our party, even if they're not any of our background, even if we feel like they're making ungodly decisions for this nation, we are still to honor them and what they do. Kids, a lot of us are here, kids have our parents growing up and all that. I believe that honor translates into that. And, and, and there's been struggles in my lifetime where I say I don't feel like I'm honoring my parents the way that I need to. And it's been difficult a few times in my life, I won't lie to you at all, for me to say, okay, am I really honoring? And me and my brothers and sister have had a lot of conversation about, am I truly honoring my parents? I think we need to reel ourselves in sometimes and ask ourselves, are we giving honor to the authorities that we have, whether it's the Plainview Police Department, whether it's the mayor, 
whether it's the governor of Texas, whether it's the president of the United States, all the senators that go along with that, are we giving those that are in authority that we pay those taxes and we pay for their job, are we giving them honor to whom honor? So we need to make sure this first part of chapter 13, after they talk about how to conduct yourself as a Christian, it's telling them now, here's what you need to do with those that aren't necessarily sitting beside you in those pews or in those seats that they had at the time that Paul was writing writing that. As we continue on in Romans chapter 13, it says, and it's not necessarily a different thought. Now you'll see the break in your Bible if you're following along there that it talks about a different thought. It's, it's the same thought per se, uh, kind of broken up into something different, but it says basically, oh, no one anything except to love one another for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love conquers all. Love will take care of everything. And that peace that Mark talked about comes from basically that loving one another. And this first verse, I feel like uh, verse 8, has been mis- taken out of context in itself. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. I don't believe that's talking about us individually, that we can't uh, borrow money for cars and houses and, and such as that. I believe that we have a duty as Christians to be upstanding citizens. We're paying interest on those loans that we have. It's a part of our economy and the way it works. Again, I'm not going to delve into your personal business, what your feeling is on that. If you don't borrow money, that's even probably better. I think it's a duty that we have as Christians to do that responsibly and uh, make sure that basically I'm not necessarily when you talk about net worth, but do we have enough to be able to pay off those debts that we have to make sure that to be honorable to the authorities and to the banks and the people we have borrowed that money for, that they are going to get the money that we owe them if something was to happen. I think it's important for us to do that. I don't think that's what it's talking about, about, you know, don't borrow money, owe no one anything. But what it is saying is that we need to love one another. We owe each other that love. So the Christians that he's talking to here, but he says, no one. I think it's talking about those authorities, uh, continuing on that thought. I think it's talking about those they come in contact with, but basically how we conduct ourselves to let our light shine to those around about to make somebody say, I think I would like to be a Christian. I would like to be a part of what they have because something's different about that group, because the love maybe that they show. And it goes back to the Old Testament and talks about for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there are any other commandments, it says they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mark talked about the golden rule this morning. And uh, not that it's, I, I remember when I was younger and I did something I wasn't supposed to do, treated my sister poorly probably. I, it, it really, I guess I didn't take too much from the lesson. I would remember exactly what I did wrong to get into the trouble I did. But my dad told me to go look up the golden rule in the Bible. And whenever, whenever I got it, to come back and read it to him. And of course, we didn't have Google back then. Uh, so it would have made it a lot easier. But I went to look it up, and I couldn't find it exactly the way it's written or the way we say it. But basically, uh, what we have is to treat others the way we would want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what they're saying by that is, if you love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to commit adultery. 
You're not going to murder them. You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to bear false witness. You're not going to covet. All those commandments are wrapped up, as it says, summed up in saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there are those that will still argue today that the old law and the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments are still referred to in a lot of cases, that those were done away with. Well, the Sabbath day is the only one we really can't keep. The rest of them still fall in to as what he says here, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm, as it continues on in verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You know, as we look at this, and we need to understand that at the time, people were still probably no different than today. We're trying to figure out what's low class, middle class, and upper class. You still had some of those authorities probably that were uh, probably exercising their authority in too strict ways or you still probably had the tax collector issue that people are saying, well, I, you know, they're, uh, they're skimming off the top or they're doing things uh, that they shouldn't be doing. All those things were happening. But basically what he's saying is love everybody the way you'd want to be loved. That includes the poor. That includes the rich. That includes the tax collectors. That includes the president. That includes the governing authorities. That includes uh, some of those who may be treating you um, poorly at the time it's not a respecter of are they doing good to me it says basically love does no harm to a neighbor and if we are treating ourselves like that that is the greatest commandment mark chapter 12 and verse 29 jesus answered him and said the first of all the commandments is hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one and you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like, the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, there is no commandment greater than these. It's important that we understand that love and even that peace that we have in our life and that freedom independence that those decisions that we make can encroach on other people's feelings they can encroach on other people's pursuit of happiness if you will and it's important for us to do our best not to do that to other people and it's certainly not in an intentional and a spiteful way and without the bitterness that was talked about also this morning first corinthians 13 is something that we hear a lot usually at weddings but this sums it up to us as far as the message that Paul was trying to send to them also says here in 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and then finally ends it up with love never fails. And the times that it does or the times we feel like it does, you know why it's failed? It's not because anything God did or set in motion. It's because we've done something we shouldn't or we're not loving the way we should. We are not doing what we should in our part of it in order to fulfill what God expects us. And that's where we have to self-reflect and say, this is how I need to re group myself and Paul was sending that message to the church at Rome and I think it's important as we move into the last part of Romans chapter 13 that we talk about 
the fact of action. So most of what was read in verse 12 is, is they, they weren't just generalities, but they were characteristics that you should have. And now he's getting to the point in verse 13 is saying it's time to act. It's time for us to do something. And action is something that I feel like I need most in my life because it's easy for me to talk about something. It's easy for me to say I need to get better. Sometimes somebody gives me a plan. Sometimes Lenise will say you need to do this, this, and this, and things will be a lot better, and I don't listen or I don't hear or the conversation that we have from time to time. You've got to take some of those things and take action. So as we continue in verse 11 of Romans 13, it says, And do this knowing the time that now is the high t- it is high time to awake out of the sleep. Now, why would they say, why would he say, wake out of the sleep? I believe at the time there, they were kind of into a lull. Again, 55 years into the birth of the church, as we know it, the first century Christians, as we talk about so often at this time, were kind of getting in a rut. We've got to stay out of that rut. It says, for now our salvation is nearer than we, when we first believed. Every second that goes by, we are closer to that time that we will meet our death and understand that we can't make any changes in our lives of that. That salvation is near, but the, the victory is near. It says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So do you think they had some issues at the church at Rome? the churches at Rome? (laughs) I think they probably did, or he probably wouldn't have put some of this stuff in here because after he talked about how they should conduct themselves, how love should be used and love your neighbor and treat the the authorities with respect and honor, you know, he gets pretty, pretty pointed here and talks about different things about walking in darkness. And we talk about our congregation today, you know, 2,000 years later from this time, And I think it's important for us to say we have some of the same stuff going on in our society and possibly we have the same stuff in our lives that we may have to deal with from time to time. And it should be a wake-up call for us to say, okay, we need to take action and make sure we take that right action. But to walk in the light. 1 John 1 and verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is the light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he, he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the, with, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, the victory that we have through Jesus to walk in the light, stay in that light, And I think part of us staying out of the darkness is to make sure that we are purposefully staying in the light. And what I mean by that is taking action to make sure we never get close to that dark spot. That we never, ever try to get over to that part where we're skirting the line, riding the fence, however you want to say it in our lives, where we say, I think this is okay. And it talked about early about conscience. For conscience sake, pay your taxes. For conscience sake to do that. I think it's we need to make sure that we are evaluating ourselves and saying, okay, this is where I need to be. This is the straight and narrow. And we as brothers and sisters in Christ need to encourage each other to make sure that we stay in that light and take the action to make sure that we are staying in that light. It was talked about very well last week, but as we wrap up and talk about how this applies to the people at the time, 
I think it's important for us to understand that Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, in being a living sacrifice. But how does this apply to the people at the time? Obey the laws of God and the governing authorities. Respect the authorities. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we could go into a whole lesson on who is your neighbor. And no matter how many times we say with love and all that, we've got to make sure we're doing the right things. Treat all people with love and respect. Whether they treat you with love and respect or not, we're supposed to treat them back. Kids, you guys hear that stuff all the time probably. I don't care if they're doing something to you, you be nice to them. It's hard to do even with people we love and that we get along with and want to play with and all that. But we've got to really treat other people with love and respect in everything we do and every action we take. Walk in the light of God. Stay in that light. Stay on that path. Stay in the scriptures. And then when we talk about how does, the, how does this apply to us, we have to seize the time, act on God's will for us, those people at the time. So how does this apply to us? Same list. The inspired word of God is put there and it's very simple for us because it was written to the first century church, but it applies to us in the very same way it applied to them. And I'm not saying we have a lot of revelries going on and drunkenness and lewdness and all those other things that are there, but I bet we have some things that we can probably fix, that we can seize that time and act better for what God's will is us. So we can have that peace, that freedom, and that independence from our sin and not have to worry about what tomorrow holds, whether, God, whether Christ comes again, whether judgment day comes tomorrow, whether we lose our life in, a, in an accident, whatever the case may be, that we are ready to go at all times. I think it's important for us to remember this as we, as we close up with this thought here. Colossians 3 and verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But of all, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Do you let God rule in your hearts? Is he ruling your heart? Is he ruling your life? Is he the center of what we do every day? I can tell you, I fail on that so often. We have to reel in our focus. And that's what Paul was telling that church and what the inspired word of God is telling us today to make sure that we're constantly reevaluating ourselves so we can have that peace that passes all understanding in our lives. I hope you've been benefited by the study tonight. Um, the law of liberty, which I guess uh, Jackson will get to after our meeting, and I think it's July 24th, but um, whoever's next on uh, chapter 14, talking about the law of liberty, kind of skirted on that just a little bit today. But, you know, that liberty that we have to choose and make our choices is huge. And you have a choice tonight to put on Christ or to take an opportunity to get the prayers of those who love you, those who can help you, those who can help strengthen you, and can wrap your arms around you. If there be a need here this evening, we ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.